You are listening to the Piedmont Church Podcast. To learn more about Piedmont Church, including our gathering times in Macon, you can visit us online at piedmontchurch.net. chapter 3 is where we're going to be diving in together today. Luke chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. So as you're turning there, uh, I want to open up t- t- this morning kind of talking about how people have natural giftings. Have you ever met someone who just has a natural gifting for building things? I mean, they can just kind of see as you're talking about something, they can see the end result as you're discussing it with them. Like, you're you're kind of talking about, I I think I want this kind of thing, and man, they they just have some knack, some sort of talent given to them by God that allows them to kind of see, well, this thing needs to go here, that that needs to go there. It's, in some ways, architecture and that type of building is similar to art, right? When they start painting or drawing or, or creating something, they kind of have the end in mind. There are, most of us in this room have to go to school or go through some sort of training for that, but there are a select few people who just have that natural gifting. Let me give you a little insight what I'm talking about. Uh, this is embarrassing. So this is me just opening up. Don't judge, right? So in high school, freshman year comes around. We take the ADSVAB at school. I have about 1,000 kids in my freshman class. I take the ADSVAB. I believe that I was the lowest score of 1,000. Now, you're judging me. That's why you got into the pastor business. I hear you. I then, after high school, went to college, flunked out. Some of you know my story. But then I became a mechanic, and you're going, I don't want that guy ever working on my car. But here's what I'm saying. You might not have a natural gifting, but four years later, I knew how to turn a wrench, right? A couple years after that, I started working with my hands and started getting with some people and building some things, and thankfully with a friend this past summer, I built my own deck, and now you're going, I really don't want to stand on his deck. Like, I get it. But through training and other things, we can take something that wasn't a natural gifting or natural skill set. And we can begin to mold it and, and craft it and maybe become, maybe not experts, maybe not excellence, but we can build something. Let me, let me ask you a question. Who, raise your hand if you like warm Krispy Kreme donuts. Warm Krispy Kreme donuts. Nathan Beer, great. Come on down. Uh, let's see. Mm, keep, keep your hands raised. Come on. Come on. Y'all, y'all. Betsy, come on. Okay, here we go. Here's, here's how this is going to work. Uh, Nathan, do you, come on up to the stage. Don't be scared. It's okay. Yep, you're coming up here. Betsy, come on up. Um, are, do you pay attention pretty well? No. Okay, well, good. <laughs> this is great. Do you, do you think you multitask, pay attention pretty well? All right, here's what, here's what I need you to do. So I'm going to give you a box of blocks, and I'm going to give you a box of blocks on this side over here, and I, I need you to build the tallest thing that you can build while I'm preaching. So y'all just keep doing what you do. Y'all don't, I guess I just asked y'all, can y'all pay attention to two things? So ignore what they're doing, and y'all just build some blocks. Thanks. Appreciate it. Okay. So here's the situation. We're talking about building things and making things. Make sure you're in the light. Don't, don't get too comfortable back here. I need you somewhere around this area. I know. Take a knee. It's uncomfortable. Yes, I know. We're getting old. I hear you. Here's the deal. Faith, I didn't expect that much noise. Faith is just like any other structure that we build to a degree. There's going to be a foundation to your faith. And the question that I have for us this morning is, what is your foundation on? What what is your foundation? I love that we open... This is how God works. 
Hunter and I and Jeremy had, had a really busy week, some things, and so we're talking about song, set lists and all these th- other things. And I'm like, yeah, my sermon is not completely finished. I don't know exactly which way I'm going and this way early in the week. And he, we try to get stuff out to our team early. And so he's like, hey, I'm just going to sing Jesus this week. And I'm like, fantastic. I write my message. I get in here. And, and this doesn't happen like this. Normally, we're pretty, like, in sync. Like, here's where we're going. Here's all the things. And we come in and first song out of the gate, Firm Foundation. And that's what we're talking about this morning. God is good. I don't know if you know that. I don't know if you, like, see that. But, man, good God. Gosh, here's the passage that we're going to get to before we get to Luke chapter 3. We're talking about this idea of building our our house of faith. And what are we building it on? Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, Jesus says this, Everyone who then hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who heard these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and it beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. This morning, what I want us to talk about, what I I believe that Luke chapter 3 is going to kind of unravel for us in the life and the ministry of John the Baptist is what are the building blocks of faith? What, what are the building blocks in your life of faith? H- how can we begin to build our faith house on the rock as opposed to the sand and other things? Luke chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. We're going to talk about one key block. Here we go. Luke chapter 3. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being Tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, Tetrarch of the region of Itera, and Trachonitis, and Licentius, Tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And I, I think some of you are going, man, I'm glad I didn't have to read all those words, right? But here's the deal. So Luke right here, we've, we've been walking through this book for several weeks, if not months now. Luke is kind of making a transition. So the first two chapters of this book have all been really kind of focused on the birth story of the Messiah. There's also been some sprinkling of the birth story of John the Baptist. And so what Luke is now doing is he's transitioning us from the previous two chapters to now a different story. He's actually fast-forwarding about 15 to 20 years because the last scene that we saw was Jesus as a child in the synagogue, he had been left by his parents. His parents go look for him, and Jesus is like, hey, don't you know that I'm at my father's house? And so what Luke is doing through this language of telling who's, who's in leadership and all these other things is he's giving the reader a sense of, hey, time has moved forward. He's also adding some historical nature so that we can understand and believe, because one of the purposes of him writing this book is so that you can believe in the Messiah. You can trust in Jesus. And so he's giving us all this in these first couple of verses with who's, who's in charge and what region and all these things so that we can trust what he's about to say. And then he opens up the story about John the Baptist. He says, the word of God came. I, I, I love that. I think we can so easily kind of glaze over that in this passage because here's what's happening. Even in the midst of this story that seems to be about John possibly, because that's the name he's going to give us, and he talks about the wilderness and all these other things. He says, the word of God 
came. Essentially, what he's saying to all of us in this place is, no matter the story that's being written about your life, the question is, who is at the helm of it? Is it you or is it God? See, what, what we're being led to believe, inspired by the Holy Spirit, Luke is showing us that all these actions that we're about to see by John the Baptist, all these great things from John, were inspired and pushed by the Word of God. Can we say the same about our lives? Is this true of our story? Can, can we be like Carrie Underwood and let Jesus take the wheel, right? Or are we constantly fighting to have the keys to the car, have the keys to the kingdom, and saying, this is what I have going on. Okay. So I'm going to take a pause. Let's bring these things. Can you move them? Hopefully your base is good enough to move. Let's do this. A little competition. The winner is going to get the Krispy Kreme donuts. Boom! Wow! No, 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 we're not doing it. Here we go. Give it up for Betsy. Those are warm Krispy Kreme donuts. Y'all give it up for them. I'm going to connect that back at the end. So we're just going to let that sit there and look pretty. The, the teenage girl beat. Don't you have like an engineering degree or something? I love you. I'm, yeah, yeah, I hear you. I hear you. I hear you. It is pretty. It's architecturally sound. I get it. All the things. Who's writing the story of your life? Is it you or are you trusting in the word of God to write the story of your life? He says the word of God came to John in the wilderness. This is, a, this is a, a great picture here. So I don't know about you, but when I hear the words wilderness and desert and, and that type of thing, I, I think of kind of lonely places, places where, where maybe the Word of God isn't, right, to a degree. Like, I don't know if I would actually say that in, out, out loud or think that in my head, but I, I would definitely think alone, you know, somber. Like, this is, this is a tough place. It's the wilderness. God, see me through this. But yet what we see... In John's story and in this passage is a very different wilderness. This is a wilderness of growth. This is a wilderness of rejuvenation, of, of birth. Matter of fact, during this time, the historian writer Josephus actually talks about how many prophets and priests would remove themselves from the cities. And they would go to these places of wilderness to see rejuvenation, to see revitalization, to see birth and growth. And John the Baptist fits right in the middle of this narrative. The wilderness captured in this moment, the word of God came to the wilderness, isn't this place where John is alone and he's feeling, you know, left out and he, he doesn't have the support. No, this is a picture of rebirth, of regrowth. And sometimes when life is too much, my, my challenge and my encouragement to you is to find that wilderness in your own life. You know what I'm saying? Like, find that place where you can just unplug Maybe you need to get away. Maybe there's something that you need to do to, to remember and to hear from God. Because if your life's anything like my life, as we stay in the not wilderness, the cities and the busyness of life and all these things, you know what it makes it really hard to do at times? Hear God. Because I hear all the other things. I hear my phone going off all the time. I hear my kids screaming all the time. I hear this thing at work. I hear this car horn going off this place. I've got all these budgets and all these things that are going on in my life, and I'm going, God, I need to hear your voice. But yet what I do with my life over and over again is I go, God, I need to hear your voice. God, I need to hear you. And he's going, maybe you need to find that wilderness. You need to find that place of separation, that place of rebirth and growth. 
when I got saved, one of the first youth pastors who walked up to me afterwards, he pulled me aside. I, again, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a grown, for those of you who don't know my, my story, I got saved as a youth leader at a youth camp. Put that together. He pulls me aside and he said, you know, when you get home, there's, there's going to be struggles, there's going to be trials, there's going to be all sorts of things, and there's going to come a point in your life where you're going to question this decision that you made. He said, find the wilderness. Go to a lake. Go to a mountain. Go somewhere to remind you of the goodness of God. And I think in so many ways, this opening two verses of this passage in Luke, even with all the history and the context of just trying to set up the story that's coming, God is showing us that no matter where you are, the wilderness that is a dry desert land or a wilderness that leads to him, the word of God can come. So be patient, be waiting for him, that he is in this moment. Keep reading with me, verse 3. It says, And he went, this is talking about John, into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a, a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah, the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low. And the crooked shall become straight and the rough places shall become level ways. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. And this brings us, this, this phrase, this opening phrase in verse 3, brings us to our focus point on this building block. He says, a baptism of repentance. See, what's happening here is that preachers at this time and, and priests and prophets, they, they were using this symbolic ritual of baptism to kind of show the spiritual dead coming to spiritual life or, or show a, a, a new birth or a, a putting away the old and coming with the new. And John is using this same symbolic ritual of worship to point people back to the entire purpose of their life. And the purpose of their life is for them to become less so that God can become more. And that will never happen if your building block is built on what do I want, what, what successes do I want to find, what things do I want to find in my life. No, it needs to be built on you becoming less, you turning from yourself, you repenting. And we're going to get more into all of that. But this is just one way. What John is essentially doing is he's leading people to do what Second Chronicles 7.14 says. It says, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and then do what? Turn. So we don't just seek after God and humble ourselves and pray, God, I need you to fix this, I need you to fix this, I need you to fix this, and then continue walking in this direction. Right? What do we do? It says to do what? To turn from their ways, their wicked ways. Then... I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. This is, this is huge. This, this place of repentance it, it is an important place for all of us. And then he, he even ties in the connection with Isaiah. And he goes back to the Old Testament and says, hey, this, this voice of one crying in the wilderness, this, this John has an, a historical connection. See, 
prophecies have kind of a dual meaning. You, you have a, a prophecy that's given in the Old Testament that has that first literal meaning right in that moment. And then you have a second one, one that is to come. And right here, Luke is connecting this Old Testament passage of Isaiah with the New Testament calling of John the Baptist. And he says, this one person out in the wilderness, I know he's weird. He eats locusts and wild honey and he dresses funny and he probably smells to high heaven. But he has a message from God. There's something specific and something important that we need to know about this message. And he unravels the message and it comes to this place of repentance. That's an important message. To hear repentance is not an easy thing. It's not an easy thing to get to this place to go, I need to turn from my wicked ways. But this is why the wilderness is important because if we're in the busyness of our lives, we might find that hard to swallow. And at the end of the, the service, we're going to talk about Passion Camp. You'll see uh, Mateo and, and Kaylee are wearing some, some special gear today. Here's the thing that I love about Passion Camp and, and, and taking students away at camp. Did you know that about 85% of followers of Christ gave their life to Jesus before they were 18? 85%. Here's what Passion Camp is. It is an opportunity to push your child to get into the wilderness. It is an opportunity to, to allow them a space to separate all the noise and all the things going on in their life and for a week to focus on the voice of God that the world is trying to blot out altogether. I think it's been several years since we've taken a, a, a group of kids to camp where we didn't at least have one give their life to Jesus. That's, that's an amen. I don't know if you know that, church, but that's huge. That's, that's why we invest hundreds if not thousands of dollars into taking a group of kids away to what doesn't seem like a wilderness. It's the beach. And it's amazing and it's so much fun. But there's a purpose behind it and so much of it is tied to this idea of repentance. Luke leads us to understanding, at least at the beginning set of this doctrinal and theological understanding of what is repentance. And he gives us the setting for this next story, verse 7. So we've set up repentance. This is what John is doing. And now he's going to show us an interaction. Luke chapter 3, verse 7, he said, Therefore to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, by John, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? I, I, re I read this passage and I get to this place and I go, what groups? Like who has come to hear this crazy odd person. And I, I, I've kind of, over the years, just thought, like, who, who would do this? Uh, if you've watched The Chosen, there's some, there's some good insight into, into that, that TV series that kind of unpacks the gospel's narratives and shows some things. But I, I think the first group of people will be those who are intrigued, right? So this is just probably right outside the city. And John the Baptist is, is, has been preaching for, for a while. And, and droves of people have seen something happen in their lives, and then they're going back to the cities, and all of a sudden now, people are intrigued. There's some good intrigue, and then there's some negative intrigue, and we'll get that in a minute. But there's certainly some intrigue by all together. So if you got a free afternoon, maybe like, let's go see this crazy prophet out in the wilderness. Let's, let's go there. I think there's some people needing some healing. Think about you're at wit's end. You, you've been seen by all the doctors, all the the shamans, all, all whatever in, in the area, and you're still 
hurting. You're still broken. You've got physical needs that are healing. You've got mental needs that are in need of healing. You've got all these sorts of things, and there's another voice. There's, there's hope. So what you do is you go out to that hope. You're looking for any answer that you can. I think there's people who need healing. There's people who need hope and relationship restored. But what else can specifically be said about these groups? This is why the gospel narratives are important. So Luke just says, hey, this is a group. But Matthew gives us a, a little more insight. Matthew chapter 3, verse 7, he says, but when he saw many, this is the same exact inter- interaction, of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Matthew found it very important. Now Matthew's writing to a Jewish people. Luke is not specifically writing to a Jewish people. And so Matthew wants the Jewish people to know, hey, these religious leaders, this religious royalty, that's who John's about to call out. If you don't know who the Pharisees and the Sadducees are, the, the, these are the religious leaders of the time. It's, it's the people in charge of synagogue and, and all the things, and, and they're kind of in two different corners, but they're, they're still the religious leaders of the time. And John looks at them and says, you are a brood of vipers. Why would these religious, come, religious leaders come out to see John? What, what was the, Are they intrigued? Do they want to repent? I don't think so. I think you can get that kind of vibe from what John, you brood of vipers. He calls them snakes. That's usually not a good thing in the Bible, right? Remember the first snake? Probably not a great, probably not a great word here. So what's going on? Well, so likely they're part of that negative intrigue group. They're part of that group who has maybe heard of John. Maybe they feel like John's dipping into the pockets a little bit, right? You're taking some of my followers and my tithes have gone down a little bit, right? I need that golden arch somewhere and I got a capital campaign happening and you're really hurting it. John, what you doing, bro? And so they want to go out and visit. And what does John do? He hits them straight up. You brood of vipers. Verse 8, still continuing to speak to them, he says, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. There's that word again. Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, oh, well, we, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children from Abraham. See, here's this, this group of religious royalty, religious leaders. And in so many ways, they have found their identity in their family tree, in their ancestry, in, in, in their Jewish heritage. And so they're standing all staunch because they're going, I- I've got a direct line right here. I-, I literally come from Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Like, I'm in this corner over here, and this other one's going on. I'm in this other tribe, and I've got a direct line here. And John looks at them and says, it doesn't matter where you come from. I know you, I know you think that's how life works, but faith isn't something that's just handed down. Faith is your own. And it isn't some, some gift by a human to say, hey, here you go. Have some of mine. Because if you go back to the, the book of Hebrews, it says that Abraham's righteousness was counted to him, or fa- Abraham's faith was counted to him as righteousness. Not his heritage. 
Not even his works. Not his, I'm going to follow all these things that God has called me to do. The Bible says that Abraham's faith, his trust in God, is what gave him right standing. Not his own work, his own merit. Not that he went to synagogue. Not that he did all the things. And that's what John is saying to these religious leaders. You can try to do all the right things. You can try to go to church consistently. You can try to read your Bible consistently. You can give. You can serve. You can love with an open heart. But if it's all for your gain, and it's not about faith, and it's not, not really about the works being a fruit of repentance and belief, then you know what you're going to be? You're going to be someone who has a hardened heart. You're going to be someone who's just doing this to get your pass. And what God wants is someone who's willing to give their all to him at whatever it takes, whatever the cost. He continues in verse 9, Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Going back to this heritage picture. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. This is a proverbial term that he's using to, to kind of cut someone out of a family. If you remember back to Jesus' words that I am the vine and we are the branches. If we are cut off from the vine, then we will bear no fruit. This is a picture. This is, this is a constant theme that is happening here that this religious royal group, they are informed that they are not a part of the family. But it's not necessarily because of their lineage per se. You know what he's saying? He's really saying, you're not a part of the family because you don't have faith. This isn't something new that's happening. I, I need us to see this. So John isn't coming to them and saying, hey, now all of a sudden at point A, you're now not a part of the family. What John's actually saying is you've actually never been a part of the family. I'm just letting you know now. Like you thought you had it all, going through all your stuff, going through all the rituals and leading and all that. You thought you had it. But you're just like those people in Matthew 7, verse 22. says, on that day, this is Jesus, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did, did we not cast out demons in your name and do so many mighty works in your name? And he looks back and says, then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. It isn't about your works. There's an aspect where our heart is what fuels our works. And so if you just are doing the things to just get a golden ticket, a golden star on your calendar. You're missing the point is what John is saying. There needs to be a repentant heart. There needs to be a yearning and a burning desire to die to self and to be risen and walk in the newness of life with our Lord. Now here's the problem with this passage. Better said, here's the problem that we have connecting with his passage. I don't think there's a lot of religious royalty in the room. I don't think there's many of us that necessarily were kind of raised in uh, th this place of, well, I do everything proper and prim. I think there's certainly a, a few. I think a large majority of us kind of fall in a different place. 
There's a couple of different places. I think the first one is we can fall in an apathetic belief, an apathetic faith. And what I mean by that is we were raised in the church, so we know, we know certain things. And, and, and we maybe walked down an aisle or went to VBS and got baptized at the beach. Whatever your story is, sitting in a car with your mom, your dad, your grandma, what, whatever it is. And there was a moment where, where you said a prayer. You, you, you said something. You, you quote-unquote got saved. You believed in Jesus. But where we sometimes find ourselves is this place where we did that once, and it may have instilled some, some characters or some characteristics and, and, and some things in our life that kind of we use to help guide us, but we're not sold out. We're, we're, we're not, we believe, but we don't follow. And so we, we, we find ourselves in this place where we, we did walk down an aisle, we did say a prayer, and we do these good deeds at times, but we're not in love with Jesus. We're in love with ourselves. We're in love with the things of this world. We're in love with all the other things. And we do those other things hoping that we get a golden ticket. We don't, be, we don't follow God in a way that changes our belief from just an understanding to a relational commitment. See, even the demons believe in God. You've probably heard this. James says it. So to believe in God is probably missing the point. We're not, we're not even asking necessarily the right question. You know what I'm saying? You walk up to somebody probably at some point in life. Say, hey, do you believe in Jesus? And when they say yes, you know what typically our response is? Well, praise the Lord, brother and sister in Christ. That's amazing. The demons believe in Jesus. Would we say that back to a demon? No, we wouldn't, would we? The question is to go from belief to faith, to, to following. And this is where those religious leaders are finding themselves. They're seeing this, this kind of chasm between what they understand and what John is teaching. And so they come back with a question in verse 10. In the crowds, remember the Pharisees and the Sadducees, asked John, what then shall we do? That's a loaded question, right? That's a, I mean, what, so what we supposed to do? And he answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized. And he looks at them and he says, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, and, and, and what, what shall we do? And he says to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusations and be content with your wages. See, what, what these people have is they, they have a religion, but they don't have a relationship. They have a, a belief system and an understanding and a certain way that they're supposed to live their life, but they're stuck in asking the question of, do I believe in Jesus? Do I believe in God in their, in their situation in that moment? Because Jesus hasn't come forward yet. Do I believe in Yahweh? Well, yes, I believe. But do their actions follow it? Do their actions support it? Is there fruit in the root? No. John's looking back at him and saying, no, absolutely not, because all you're doing is you're asking the question, if you believe, you're not asking the question, if you have faith, if you follow, if you do something, and then what, is, what are we supposed to do then? How are we supposed to do that? And what does he say? Have actions. Have actions. 
And, and if we're not careful, what we can see from this passage, we can see a place where, okay, I just need to do more. But here's the reality. You can't do more if you're not connected to the vine. You won't. You flip the song we sang around. You won't, right? Jesus will never fail you, but you will fail yourself. I promise you. Over and over and over again. You do not have the discipline. You do not have the righteousness to continue to do the works that he is calling you to do. But you know who does? Jesus in you and through you. And all you have to do is become less so that he can become more. So how do we get to that place? How do, how do we get to this place where we make Jesus the king and the master of our lives? So often what we want to do is we want to get to this place where, man, I, I believe in Jesus, I follow Jesus, I'm coming after you, and we want to kind of slowly make this change. And we we, we kind of we want to hold on to the old things of life, and we want to turn at the same time. Can't do that, right? Eventually, my arm's going to get pulled out of socket. Eventually, I'm going to just be forced to come back to this way. But what Jesus is calling us to do, what through John is he's saying, turn. Turn. Like, drop the chains of guilt and bondage and addiction and fear and self-righteousness and narcissism and egotism and whatever ism you got in your life. Drop it and come to me because you cannot have faith without acknowledgement of the need of faith. And that is what leads you to repentance, right? There's no reason to turn to Jesus if I don't think I need him. Why do I need him if I, won't, if I think I have all this stuff handled? I don't have it handled. I need to let it down and let it go and then go to him. And so the building block of faith is repentance. That forgiveness that you're not willing to give to someone, you need to begin today. That moment in your life that you cannot forgive yourself, you need to begin today to give it to Jesus, to turn, to run from it. We need to begin to see and hear the all-surpassing goodness of God. And when that moment happens, we can repent. We can turn from and turn to the everlasting goodness of Jesus as our king and our master. And so if you're looking for a way to build a life that matters and build, building the blocks of your faith, you need to make sure that this base is built on repentance. Underneath it is Jesus as your rock. But the first block in your life needs to be repentance. It isn't. Well, let me start getting everything right in my life. Jesus never says, hey, go clean up and then I'll wash you. Does he? He says, I'm going to wash you and I'm going to cleanse you and then we're going to walk. You don't have to do it. He did it. And he will do it in your life. You need to begin in repentance by understanding that you are dead spiritually and that one day physically you will be that way as well. 
There's nothing that stops that. One and one dies. And if that was the end of the story, it's terrible. But Jesus steps in. And he comes and says, look what I can build in you. I can build a house, a firm foundation that stands upon the shoulders of the great I am. But the base of your faith begins with turning from yourself. Galatians 2.20, I have been buried, buried with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but it is he who lives in me. Luke finishes the passage in 15. As the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water. But he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. In order for us to bear fruits in keeping with repentance, what Luke is doing in this passage by highlighting the words of John is he's saying, don't wait. Don't wait. Because what we do is we come in and we, we hear a message like this. And we walk out those doors. And so often, and that was a good word. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. It was good. I thought he had great fire and vigor, right? The music was, man, it, it was just really good today. And it ends. And man, let me just tell you. If you walk out those doors and the only thing you heard was, wow, Chris is a pretty good communicator. I failed as a communicator. I failed as a preacher of the gospel. Because my heart is not that you will think, man, he's good. It's that, wow, you'll think that God up there is amazing. And I am not and I need him. So I'm going to repent. I'm going to turn from myself and put my faith in Jesus. And if I've been walking for Jesus for 25 years, I'm going to do it every day. I'm going to repent from my sins. See, that's, we lose repentance as Christians, don't we? I mean, think about it. When's the last time you woke up and go, I'm going to begin today by repenting, by turning from? I don't do it as often as I should. But I don't think the message of repentance is, hey, walk down an aisle, say a prayer, turn, and then give your life to Jesus, and everything's going to be roses. I think the message of repentance is even after you've been bought with a price, you still dwell in this broken vessel, and what you need to do every day is die to yourself. Every single day. Do you know why? So that you can live with him. So you can see the glory of God move through you. Next week as church has left the building, and my hope isn't that we'll just gather as a bunch of people and go do something good. My hope is that we'll gather as a bunch of people as the body of Christ, the Spirit moving through us, and maybe, just maybe by the works of our deeds, someone will see and know Jesus. Maybe somebody at, a, at your job will hear that you're doing this, and that you'll strike up a conversation with them, and that moment will be a time where you can point that here's why we do this. Because our works are just an expression of our faith. We don't just believe in Jesus, we follow after Jesus. And we're speaking up for those who don't have a voice and we're helping those who can't help themselves. We're doing all this in the name and the power of Jesus. So church, that's your call to repent. Maybe you've got something on your heart right now. 
Maybe, maybe there's a moment in time you can't forgive yourselves for. Go to the Lord. Ask for forgiveness. Repent. Maybe you can't forgive someone else in this room. Maybe there's just a moment where you're just going, I cannot forgive them because they did this. Go to the Lord. And even if you don't mean it right now, say it. Maybe God will use that to begin to soften your heart. So what I want to do is the band gets ready to lead us in some more songs of worship. I want us to just sit for a second. Every single one of us has a moment, has a time in our life that we need to repent. We have something that's going on right now. And you need to turn from it. Maybe you need to turn totally from yourselves and give your life to Jesus. And I'll be down front and I'll be glad to pray with you. But if you're a believer in this room, you need to turn from something else too. You need to let down the the baggage of stuff and run to Jesus. That's the message of John the Baptist. And that's our message this morning. To repent and follow. Let me pray. God, I ask that this morning you will move our hearts to repentance. That you'll break us and mold us into the people that you've called us to be. Whatever strongholds, whatever forgiveness needs to be had, God, I pray that you'll break the strongholds and you'll give us forgiveness we'll see that the blood of Jesus is over every moment in our lives. I plead that your spirit will move in this place and in our, in our house, that when we leave these walls, we will be the people of God that you've called us to be. We'll find our wilderness, and we'll take every step just like you've preordained it. God, if you're calling some children home this morning, Give them the courage and the bravery to come talk with me and come pray with me. Help us to sit and to see you this morning. It's in your son's name I pray.